Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the traditionalist. We are recording on Veterans Day, November 11th, 2021. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the namesake of this show. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor is also the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor, a little later on, maybe you can talk to us about... Um, the online course that you have developed uh, with Hillsdale that talks about the dying citizen and maybe give our listeners a little information about that. First, though, we're going to talk about some uh, important uh, topics and people, Adam Schiff and John Durham, two of them. And we'll start with that right after this important message. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the traditionalist. There's also the classicist, which I am blessed to host. And then uh, Victor also has a podcast, The Culturalist, with the great Sammy Wink. We appreciate the listeners who listen to all the podcasts. So, Victor, lots been happening this week. And let's start by talking about your favorite person in Congress, Adam Schiff. <laughs> he, um, he's been caught with his 
pants down, find whatever analogy you want. Here's the man who huckstered this um, concocted Russian conspiracy. He was called out on The View earlier this week, but seems to show what, what he's done is a lot of spinning, but no admission of any, any guilt here. Victor, would you talk about Adam Schiff separately? Let's talk about what John Durham is up to. And maybe if you can please me while we talk about Schiff, I'd love to hear some sense of a vindication of what uh, Devin Nunes has been telling America for the last few years. Well, Adam Schiff has this kind of Kevin Spacey type demeanor where he, he talks very slowly and very precisely. And it's a pseudo uh, exactness. And you think this person is trying to be very careful, but he's actually completely reckless and he's a pathological you fill in the blanks. And what I mean by that is that while he was going on MSNBC and CNN assuring the country for 20 months that there were bombshells and that he, wink, wink, nod, nod, had access to classified information that would show that Donald Trump was colluding, he was not producing that. And he was bringing in witnesses, as was Devin Nunes, Clapper, Brennan, Comey, and in their confidential testimonies, as we know from leaks, they were saying, I didn't, I don't have anything. And so he, he knew that. And now he's caught because Durham, he never thought, Dur he thought Joe Biden would just stop the Durham investigation. And I don't think he's going to stop the investigation for a lot of reasons. One of them is that his poll numbers are so bad and there's such a backlash growing and his policies have been so disastrous that the last thing that Joe Biden needs is a Saturday night massacre in the, in the DOJ. And the second thing is, remember, Jack, what this course of prosecutions is following. They went after Kleinsmith and then Sussman and now Dechenko, and he's at a fork in the road, Durham. And does he go after Clapper and Brennan that have probably said things that were untrue under oath? And we know they have under oath to the Senate in the case of Clapper and the NSA spy program, in the case of Brennan surveilling the Senate staffers' computers and collateral damage along the Afghan border that he denied. That's a polite word for killing people. And then there's Comey and there's and if he were to do that, I think he feels right now, I'm just speculating, I have no inside right. knowledge, that maybe Biden would say, I'm gonna protect the integrity of the FBI. This is out of rate, this is crazy. But go after Hillary and Biden, remember in 2016, kind of wanted to run and she crowded ahead of the line, pushed him out, and there's no love lost there at all. And so I think what he's doing, he's going at the bottom of the food chain. He's just working his way up with the first two or three people. And then he's going to say to them, you've lied under oath. It's pretty clear. Here's what you said. Here's what you've said this under oath. This is what happened. Can you reconcile that? Or would you like to tell us about the next person? And so what do I mean by the food chain? I mean that Hillary Clinton inherited an ossified little account from a bunch of never Trumpers. And then she took this information and she wanted to smear and destroy Donald Trump. And she thought that she could get away with it because she had the DOJ and she was at the State Department. So what did she do? It's very important to remember what she did. She took the DNC and she said, I want to get 
dirt on Trump. And so they went to the Perkins Co. left-wing law firm, and Mark Elias, I guess, was the go-between, and Jake Sullivan, the current national security advisor. And then they said, we're going to go get Glenn Simpson, Wall Street Journal former reporter, had this Fusion GPS. And then he's going to go get Christopher Steele. And Christopher Steele is this expert Well, about Russia. He's a British M16, uh, M9, M4, all this crap that we were told. He hadn't been to Russia at best in 2009. He admitted that. And then there were other stories he wasn't even allowed in since the 1990s. So he had no firsthand knowledge. But he relied on this Clintonite that was a Russian sort of like a, I don't know, Bobolinsky type of person that works for the Russians for his own profit, Dolan. And uh, he got some dirt and rumors, and then he went back and forth and tried to put a patina of Russianism on it with Dushinko, who was at the Brookings. And I guess he had been, Fiona Hill had been involved in setting up meetings. This is the self-righteous woman at the impeachment hearings that has a new book out, we remember. And anyway, to make the long and the short of it, Hillary Clinton, DNC, Perkins Co., Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, Christopher Steele's fake sources. And that's where we are now with the fake sources. The next step, what it seemed to me, would be Glenn Simpson, who's testified and has talked to federal prosecutors. And I, don't, I think you, they won't go after Steele because of foreign national. And then the next one after that, would they bring in Mark Elias? And then the next one after that will get interesting. Is it John Podesta? Is it Jake Sullivan? And then we have the periphery, Jack. And these are the people in the Clintonite world that were given peaks of this fake dossier. And their task was to give it a another patina veneer of legitimacy and spread it. So it seems like Bruce Orr, whose wife Nellie was working on this thing, had contacts within the DOJ and was working with the FBI. John Brennan was given it. And so he was trying to get it into the daily intelligence menu that Barack Obama knows about. And then there was Victoria Newland that had in the State Department. Okay, while this was all going on, then they were also saying, this is a done slam dunk. We're going to destroy Trump. And it was leaked in BuzzFeed and Rolling Stone, remember, right. and Yahoo News before the election. So it did damage to Trump. And then immediately, right in, during the transition, it morphed into, well, now that we have this Steele dossier and now we have this proof, we're going to go after Michael Flynn and we're going to get government authority to do that. And we're going to go after his subordinates and we're going to destroy the Trump transition. And they did their best. And now all of a sudden, what's happened? Christopher Steele in a British court said he couldn't really reveal his notes. He did, they're gone. And Ashinko said, I didn't do it. It was Dolan or somebody. And they said, well, it was him. Nobody's coming forward. Christopher Steele did that softball interview with George Stephanopoulos. And he right. kind of said, well, like Steele kind of sort of stand behind some kind of some of it. But, right. you know, Stephanopoulos is a liberal operator. He didn't ask him any substantial questions. So here we are. And now all of a sudden the left has a new tack. If you look at what the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, the usual suspects are saying, oh, the Steele dossier had nothing to do with Robert Mueller's investigation. There was independent evidence. It had nothing to do with any of these inquests about Trump. It did. The two pillars of the whole Russian collusion hoax 
with a steel dossier and the ability of Glenn Simpson to market it as if it was a serious thing other than just a piece of junk. And then we go to the House Intelligence Committee and Devin Nunes picked up on this. He's in the House Intelligence Committee. That's the job to see what's going on. And when he found this out, he reported to Donald Trump and basically said there are people in your administration, in the State Department, in the DOJ that are communicating with elements of Hillary Clinton's team to disrupt your transition and your presidency. And that set off fireworks. And a lot of people you and I know wanted him to be fired and resigned. And they turned on Devin Nunes and he came. He was a very popular bipartisan legislature legislator whose trademark had been warning people about Russia because he was very, very upset about the reset button. He had said again and again and again, Crimea. Eastern Ukraine, we won't send, uh, sell offensive weapons to the Ukrainians. This is crazy under the Obama administration. This is even crazier that this hot mic 2011 conversation that Obama had in Seoul, Korea, where he said, tell Vladimir that basically I'll go easy if he'll go easy during my campaign. And so, you know, this missile, this old ossified missile treaties asymmetrical. We got to pump more oil. We got to beef up the defense. And that was what Trump did. And somehow these revolutionaries on the left were able to take that truth and turn it into, we were tough on Putin. And then Trump came in and appeased him ex post facto. That shows that the whole time he was working, as James Clapper said, quote unquote, as a Russian asset. And then you look at the record, you know, Walter Russell Mead wrote a very good article about this, but beefed up NATO, beefed up the defense budget, got out of that bad treaty on missiles with the Russians, killed over 200 Russian mercenaries that were in Syria without a blink, and then took the old aid package to Ukraine and uh, said, you know what? These are offensive weapons. Go to it. And out of that, he was impeached for holding up arms supplies to Ukraine based on Mr. Vindman's quote unquote non whistleblower quote unquote testimony. So the whole thing is disgusting, but the locus classicus of this fraud was the Steele dossier. And this is very funny because remember what it shows you, Jack. There's something on the left called projection, and that is. They are so guilty about their lack of morals and standards in the way that they conduct policy. And they're so wealthy and and affluent, these bicoastal elites, that they feel terrible. And so they always project what they do onto other people. So if if Hillary won't accept the 2016 elections, they have you know, commercials about the electors should be flipped and not follow their constitutional mandates. Al Gore in 2000 said that he was selected, not elected, ran and raid for four years about W. If John Kerry in 2004 says Ohio, you know, this was fake. And if Jill Stein in 2016 on kind of as a Hillary surrogate sues about that, that's okay. It's Stacey Abrams, that's okay. But that becomes then a way of saying that Donald Trump is undermining the election or integrity by questioning it in 2020. And that's what they do. So this whole thing then was Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion, because we were appeasing Russia and we empowered Putin. And therefore, we're going to fob it off on Donald Trump. That's what they do. 
Yeah. Same Russia that got, thanks to Hillary, uh, got a nice contract on uh, uranium. uranium. Victor, a couple one. of, you know, a little follow up. One, just a kind of a smart ass note. Uh, yesterday, I was eating lunch and turned on the TV. And of course, this Rittenhouse uh, trial was on. And uh, earlier in the day, obviously, the, the kid uh, on the stand started crying and it became a big uproar on social media that that he was full of it. And I just can't help but remember that didn't Adam Schiff notoriously cry for America to make make his political point? What well, you know, crying's okay they, for, they all for some, not others. They all, not others. They all they all cry all the time. Yeah. And this kid was seventeen, and of course he was on the stand, from what we know from clips. And what did the prosecution do? They improperly brought in Fifth Amendment testimonies and strategies, and that's against the law. And the judge dress them down. And then in addition to that, we learned that he was being chased. One man tried to hit him over the head with a skateboard. The other, we have videos of it now that were finally released. It's pointing a gun at him. One of the people involved was a sex offender. And anybody who watches the videos or with the, the belated release of the FBI helicopter shots can see yeah. that this guy, maybe it was unwise for a 17 year old to bring an auto, a semi-automatic weapon. But from what we can tell, he wasn't antagonizing anybody. He was trying to stop fires and clean up graffiti and they went after him and they ran him down and they thought he's a little punk with a gun. And the, people who ran him down did not have a very good background. And he turned and one of them pointed a gun on him. One of them tried to beat his brains out. One of them tried and he shot in any other circumstance. He would be acquitted. There's no way in the world that anybody would convict that person. And so if, and if he was any other color than white male, let's be frank in, in the circumstances, if he had been a person of color, and there were two or three white fanatics running after him, the white fanatics would be on trial right now. Yeah. And, and that's just the way it is. I'm sorry, audience, but that's the way it is. And so it's a whole farce. And I think right now the prosecution is so inept. Maybe they're just, I don't know, maybe they've blown it. And I think what we're getting at is that they felt, given the left-wing culture in these big cities around America, that they had to bring this indictment as a cause celeb. And then they knew they had no case and they're just so outrageously inept. Maybe they're just trying to say, we screwed up. And so then the judge will have a mistrial or something, but not a mistrial that that stops all of the charges from being reintroduced. They can just say, you know, it's, they're inept. And then they can say, well, we'll do it again. They want to find some way to hold it over his head and I don't I've never seen or heard a prosecution team so inept. And I'm trying to yeah. figure out what's the strategy to get a mistrial. So they get get out of it and they say, we didn't want this case. It was a lose lose case for us. Yeah. But we went through the motions. So we'll just kind of screw it up and they'll throw it out or we're starting to lose it. We thought we had this guy, but we're starting to lose it. We're so we're just going to be so bad. He'll declare a mistrial. and We'll start over. Well, Victor, I did want to just get. Back on the shift Durham Russia scandal here, the story in in one sense is being posed that the FBI was duped, and I don't personally buy that. And I'd like to hear your quick thoughts on this. I mean, I, I do think people 
wanted to be duped or maybe like, you know, my son was arrested. And of course, he's innocent, even though he's standing there holding the bag of cash they took out of the store. I mean, there are obviously people who disregard facts and stand by others for personal reasons. But for the FBI to be duped by what is an egregious document means either it's in an incredibly inept agency or complicit to some some degree as this rolled out. And if it is complicit, you know, no, this who, is who a, deserves a, who deserves to come into Durham's this uh, is a target. Total, yeah, this is a total joke. Remember, James Comey was bragging about how he sent attorneys into what he felt would be to cross up a inexperienced Trump administration and get things on the record from Michael Flynn before he could get a lawyer. And he kind of, nobody would ever have allowed us to end. They would have had legal counsel, but these guys didn't know what they were doing. So I took the opportunity. So he was no, and then he knew that struck notes basically from the interview with Flynn showed that there was no effort to, to lie or conceal anything. We've had the FBI attorney, remember him, James Baker. He was in, I think he was in touch 2016, right before the election with David Korn. And the and David Korn was the one in Mother Jones who leaked the right who leaked it. And then we had John Brennan who was talking to Harry Reid and everybody and basically saying, my hands are tied because I'll get in trouble. I'm CIA, but the FBI's got to get on this. And then the FBI was paying Christopher Steele. He was an informant. And then he got a little egocentric and started blabbing and they got embarrassed. And so every element of the FBI, and we know that when Kevin Kleinsmith altered a federal document, and I mean, that would put, that would have put anybody in prison for four or five years. If you're going to go riot in the Capitol, like, okay, so they think there's a few people who were actually guilty of rioting and they did damage to property or they threatened people. We don't know, but they're going to be looking at four or five years. But Kevin Kleinsmith, he put the country through hell. He did right. by faking that affidavit, that FISA war. And so did Comey, who signed off it. And so did McCabe. And McCabe lied. McCabe lied. Right. He admitted he lied. And he was not prosecuted. For he still has a pension. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these people and McCabe was a liar. He had conflicts of interest with his wife's campaign in Virginia and the Clinton funding of it when they were supposedly investigating the email. And then we look at James Comey. Why in the hell, when it was exposed that Hillary Clinton had her emails hacked and they were entering the public domain, even though Assange said, wait a minute, these did not come from Russia. And we still don't know if they did come from Russia, and you wanted to make that argument, why didn't Hillary Clinton say, here's the hard drives, FBI, you go look at it, and you will find they came from Russia. Instead, the FBI said, hmm, Hillary doesn't want us to examine these computers that were hacked. She's got her own in-house computer company. Was it CrowdStrike? Was that the name of it? Oh, we'll just let them do it. And then they kind of said, hmm, sort of, maybe, kind of. It may have been the Russia. And that was in Russia did it. And so that was highly unusual for the FBI in the middle of a, one of the most important investigations in their history 
a presidential candidate accusing the other candidate of being in league with the Russians to hack their computers. And then she won't turn the computers over to the FBI to establish the truth. And the FBI just happy with that. Right. James Comey. And then you had James Comey telling the president of the United States, you're basically not under investigation when he was under investigation. And then he was taking notes while he was an FBI employee on FBI iPads or whatever right. they use. And then he was turning around and memorializing those so he could leak them. And write a book. book. Yeah. And write a book and then tweet things about Nietzsche and the philosophical traumas that he had suffered. So from the A to Z, the FBI has been rotten. And when you collate this, Jack, with what they, you know, I'm no fan of Roger Stone, but when you make this elaborate CNN shows up at the very moment that you're right. going to ra raid the guy's house in the early morning hours. And then you go after Project Veritas and you what? You know that these you've had these Hunter laptop computers in your possession and you know they're from Hunter Biden and he does not even himself deny that. Right. And yet there's a news blackout and the FBI does nothing because they do not want the information to come out. So when you add all of this up and then Comey and then and McCabe and then we're not even talking about the dream team all star lawyer Lisa Page and her paramour Peter Strzok, who were communicating in a way that made them impossible to be impartial when they were on the special counsel's team. They were fired and then. Robert Mueller staged their departures. Oh, she's being reassigned. Oh, he's being assigned. And then we had the missing phones. Remember those, Jack? The FBI's uh, cell that were turned. Oh, wow. I don't know what happened. They were wiped clean. We didn't get them all. And then we had good old Bob Mueller, the wonderful prosecutor who was going to take the dream team and clean up all of these old handlebar mustache uh, lawyers and Jay Sekulow that Trump used. And he was absolutely inept. Andrew Weissman was a total partisan. He was inept. They spent $40 million. They wasted 20 months of the country's precious time. And then it all culminated in good old Bob Mueller under testimony in House Committee saying, I have no idea what fusing GPS is. I don't know anything about the, the dossier. After his whole legal team had been leaking, leaking for a long time. So what does all this mean? I think you really do have to dissolve the FBI. I don't mean in the idea of the FBI, but you've got to take it out of Washington because its players get involved with big, the revolving door like James Comey goes in to be a corporate lawyer. I think at Lockheed, he goes back into government, DOJ, corporate stuff, just like the Pentagon generals and admiral. They would just take the thing out and put it in, say, Kansas City in the center of the country and get a professional guy up from the ranks and don't get any of these corporate uh, grandees in the beltway and start over. I think it could be saved, but it cannot be saved given its record. It's got to be abolished because they're just not trusted, whether it's Baker, whether it's Kleinsmith, or whether it's McCabe or the former FBI leader Mueller or Comey. Uh, or page or struck. I could go on forever. Yeah. It's just not, yeah. it's not, it's not solvable. The whole system is corrupt. Yeah. It's, well, it's, as you left, we left, talked they're about, all left, they're all left wing Jack, because yeah. they understand that to be promoted and to get a corporate market label on you, 
whether you in between government gigs and afterwards. So if you're a general, you want to go to General Dynamics right. or Northrop or Lockheed, and then you want to go back out after government and use your knowledge to enrich your old employers. And if you're in the DOJ or you're in the CIA or in the FBI, you want to go in, have your security company, go to your, and then get back in. It's just too insidious. And so put them back in the heartland where they're centrally located and they can coordinate law enforcement and when local law enforcement are, don't have jurisdiction. That was the idea of it. So let's do it. Yeah. After they get finished with the um, parents attending uh, school board meetings. Yeah, so. I forgot about that. That's a very good point. Merrick Garland, the domestic terrorist. Right. Well, Victor, we have time for one more subject, and I think it's going to be a, a healthy subject. It's going to be about what's happening to our economy. And we'll get to this right after this important message. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, the traditionalist Victor. I'm going to throw a little salad out here, four items. There could be a hundred items, but here are four. One from October, 2020 to October, 2021, real wage growth has dropped 1.2%. We've also seen inflation rate in October, highest in 30 years, over 6%. Another news story that Joe Biden is considering killing another pipeline, this one that goes mostly through Michigan, which, of course, would just devastate oil prices, which, as we know, are in much of the country are already $4. But as you pointed out, some places in California, I think they even hit $7, still related to energy and the economy. Biden has nominated a woman I'm sorry, I'm looking at this Daily Mail story. She's a Soviet-born, uh, <laughs> what's her name, Omavara, Sole Omarova, to be yes, controller of the currency. Certified who has, product of a communist educational system. Yeah, well, she has earlier uh, this year was um, at some lefty philanthropy gathering calling for the destruction or the bankrupting of the oil and energy industry in America. And she, she is Biden's nominee for this position. Let's see. One other thing, Victor, to complete this uh, salad. We have uh, Pete Buttigieg, our the transportation se secretary. The man with the expertise from Indiana, the mayor. Yeah. You know, I think he got some bike, a bike lane. Put yeah. up in, in South Bend. South Bend, the expert on <laughs> but, transportation. So he is saying that the supply chain crisis that America is facing has to do in part with childcare. Yeah, he was. Here's a report from MSN. It says uh, he was on Morning Joe yesterday. Uh, that would be November 10th. Buttigieg says that while U.S. ports are full of ships waiting on low cargo, there has been difficulty finding trucks, et cetera, et cetera. 
there are a lot of things contributing to this. One of them is childcare. Of course, which is why the president's Build Back Better vision is going to be good for the labor market. And I did not watch the show, but it said he repeatedly went back to that saying the supply chain problem is really a function of America needing better child care law. So, Victor, look, there could be 50 other, 100 other kind of examples of insanity going on in our economy, to my mind, self-induced. All of it, of course, leads to inflation. Your thoughts in general on this uh, broad crisis brought well, I know to I, Joe Biden. I know our listeners are very interested in this because they are asking themselves every day as they look at this first 10 months and they say, hmm, A, are these people just so incompetent? This makes Jimmy Carter look like Einstein. I mean, who are these people? They are destroying the country. They're so inept. Or they say, no, no, no. This is a deliberate effort to undermine the fabric of American society to create a 2008-like crisis and then to trump the COVID crisis and get more legislation, more executive orders through under the guise of panic because everything is falling apart. Or C, they say, are we in an alternate universe? Because these people keep thinking that all this is good. You know, you look at real clear politics, some of the articles that they post from the left, you know, that Joe Biden's great nine months. Right. I guess they're saying, you know, well, we're halfway to Stephen Chu's $10 a gallon. That's good. And I think the New York Times and Washington Post have been saying inflation is good because it spreads the wealth, takes the value away from those who have money and gives money to people who don't have any. Therefore, it's good. And they look at the border and they say, hmm. Two million more poor and impoverished people. These are future Democratic constituents. Good. Get out of Afghanistan. It's better to be humiliated. Teach the United States a little humility. Good. Critical race theory. Well, that's good, too. Crime spiking in the cities. Well, maybe the white upper classes will have a little bit of sensitivity to problems of others. So they think it's good. You hit on something when you look at their replies. So everybody says, what's going on with the border? And New Yorkers go, the border's secure. It's never, it's just as secure as it's been. No. Are you crazy? People call that gaslighting or wellingism. And then Jean-Pierre, this weird deputy secretary f- filling in for the COVIDly afflicted Jen Psaki, she goes on there and says, well, why wouldn't we give $450,000 to illegal aliens? You think we'd give them to legal aliens? I mean, why would we pay anybody who follows the rules? We like lawbreakers. And then you look at the supply chain, as you say, and Buttigieg is you know, on his paternity leave. So basically his first 10 months or have been, if you go back and look at the press of him and what he does, he gives press conferences about being gay and being gay and being married and being gay and being married and having children and have little documentaries about himself and then being gay and being married and being having, having children and getting time off. And he was not around, but it wouldn't matter anyway. He didn't know anything about transportation other than in the spirit of this administration, if you are appointed to a particular position, your job is to undermine it. So the Homeland Security's job is to make sure we have no security on the border. The transportation person is to war against traditional transportation, fossil fuels, etc. And the energy secretary is to make sure you destroy gas and oil and nuclear power. That's just the way DOJ makes sure you undermine the rule of law. 
and sick the that's how they view their jobs and so that's why yeah. they say these things so when you talk about the supply chain Jen Psaki says well, poor little guys didn't get their treadmills you tell that to somebody who can't afford to have you know a PSA or a mammogram or you tell that to some guy out in Fresno County that's trying to buy some two by fours to fix his home and they're five times what they were that's not a treadmill Jen and then we have the reply to the gas where this grand home just laughs. Well, are you going to pump more? Oil? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why would we do that? We, our job is to destroy it. We're just canceling pipelines. We got another one being canceled. It's to get Anwar off the books. It's to jawbone frackers and horizontal drillers. It's to warn the industry they're doomed. AOC warned them 10 years and you're pick, gone. And mm-hmm. uh, why would we do that? That's crazy. It's much better for the short term to tell the polluting Russians and the polluting Saudis who make a mess of their oil fields compared to ours. Please, please, you know, pump some of this high overpriced, high dirty fuel that we need right now because we're too good to build it. And so that's where we are. Every type of crisis, their answers are just absurd. And inflation, you know, Ron Klain is tweeting that Obama economist that says it's just a high-class concern. I was getting a haircut in a town that has a per capita income of $16,000, and the woman was apologizing to me that it has gone from $15 to $22. Mm. And she says, we can't make it because everything has gone up from the rent to the power. And I looked around, and I used to have to be in line, and there wasn't one person there. And I said, well, all you're going to do is make people cut their own hair. And she says, I know, or go out of business, but you should see our our bills. And so these are the elites saying how good inflation is. They have no idea. These are young punks that came out of the university and they went into journalism school. They know nothing. One thing Ben Rhodes did was good. Only one was when he said they know nothing. We create an echo chamber. Biden created an echo chamber. And the echo chamber was you go out and tell these idiots, reporters, that all of these bad things are good and down is up and up is down. And then they're stupid enough to swallow it because they want to intermarry with each other. They want to say they went to this party in Washington they live in this zip code and they're bankrupt people and they do a lot of damage. They don't care about people's lives outside of where they live. So when they say these things about inflation is good, they should have lived through it. I lived through it in this, in, in the seventies and, early 80s. I think I've said before, you know, when you go buy a bag of sulfur and, and it says 220 and then there's an X on it and then there's $3 X on it and then there's four on it. And because the bag happened to be an inventory for what, a month? Right. Or you're trying to get diesel fuel and the guy, every time he delivers a diesel fuel, he has surcharge, 20 cents, 40 cents, because he doesn't know what the price is going to be. It's going up every day. And we'll see how that worked out. They're going to bring Ronald Reagan's, somebody like him back. Yeah, They're, they're going to destroy uh, the Democratic Party like Carter did. And then they'll get some guy, you know, some faker like Bill Clinton who will say, you know, I'm Bill Clinton. I'm a moderate. I want school uniforms and I want the border closed and I'm against illegal. And they'll do that for 10 years until. So they've destroyed the Democratic Party. They know it. And the only thing is they haven't hit bottom. Right. I'm speaking on the book in different cities this week, and I have a game I play with myself. I talk to people in taxi cabs, airports, waiters, waitresses, et cetera. And 
I just try to be very careful about what I say. I don't try to be controversial. I just say, you know, I talk about the things that are going on. And many of them, I can tell, voted for Joe Biden. And they're, they're bewildered. Bewildered. And I don't think you're going to get anybody in the suburbs to vote for this stuff again, unless right. Donald Trump runs and starts, you know, because they that was all that we saw McAuliffe had, that Donald Trump tweets. And when you can't tweet, the only thing I think that might happen, Jack, I think Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey will put Trump back on Twitter and Facebook and hope that he starts tweeting again. And yeah. Posting. Well, Donald Trump said one thing, uh, just to wrap up what you uh, just were talking about, Victor, uh, when he accepted the nomination last year, he said Joe Biden was a Trojan horse and he sure as hell uh, he absolutely no, he, was, he was absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Victor, that's all the time we have, except for the usual kind of end of business things. First of all, we'd like to encourage our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. You have much content there that is exclusive, also known as Ultra on the site. It's, um, it's $5 a month, $50 a year, and the content is copious and it is exclusive. So you're not going to read what Victor writes there anywhere else. So heartily recommend that. You'll find a link there for The Dying Citizen. The interview you did, Victor, with Megan Kelly, last month is now up on C-SPAN 2 Book TV. So folks want to see a, an excellent discussion with Victor and Megan Kelly of the book, The Dying Citizen, recommend you go to C-SPAN. Me, Jack Fowler, I am the author of a weekly email newsletter. It's called Civil Thoughts. If you'd like to get it, it's free. Just a couple, you know, a dozen or so worthwhile uh, links to articles you might find interesting. Visit civilthoughts.com, sign up. And I also run the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, centerforcivilsociety.com. If you're interested in some of the things we're trying to do to strengthen civil society, you'll find it there. Victor, as usual, we thank those listeners who go to iTunes and leave ratings. I want you to know, Victor, it's still five stars. That's your average. Nobody else has your average. You have five stars. One of the reviewers actually left some comment. It's uh, David Rogers, 15690. Very short and sweet. Many thanks given. I always enjoy the wonderful learning sessions that are on this program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave Rogers, and thank all the other folks who listened to this. The traditionalist, the classicist, the culturalist. We'll be back again uh, next week with another edition of The Traditionalist and later in the week with The Classicist and The Culturalist. So thanks very much, folks. Thank you, Victor. And see you all soon. Thank you.